What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 42, please. Isaiah 42. There's two verses that I want to give you that I'm going to be returning to all today, and they're, I'm kind of joining them together, and I'm going to make a statement out of them. One is Malachi 3.6, where it says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Say that with me. For I, the Lord, do not change. God does not change. He is the same. That goes with Hebrews 13, verse 8, which says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus has always been. He always will be. He does not change. There's not a, a Jesus of the, of the Old Testament and a Jesus of the New Testament. There's not a different Jesus. Jesus is one. He's all-encompassing one. He does not change. He's God. So we're going to start off in in Isaiah chapter 42 because it gives us a picture here of the two different Jesuses. And again, a lot of our world, we focus on the Jesus in the manger. We focus on the Jesus who's the broken person on the cross, but we neglect the righteous judge that will someday come and judge the world. And when we do that, it's called idolatry. It's called idolatry. There's not two Jesuses. There's not two Jesuses. And a lot of times in our mindset, you ever seen that shirt that 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 said, Jesus is my homeboy? Listen, he's not your homeboy. (laughs) Isaiah 42, verse 1. It says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Jesus is a God that brings forth justice. That's why you'll never see me with people who do not have Jesus at the front of their justice movement. We don't know justice apart from Jesus. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now, I want you to put Matthew 12, 17, Matthew 12, 17 here because that speaks of Jesus in the New Testament where a smoldering wick he's not gonna snuff out. Basically, he's gonna blow on that wick and he is going to bring it to full fruition. He's not gonna break off a reed that's broken, he's going to come and heal. This is our compassionate king. This is our loving savior who comes to the broken, who saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is who he is. This is our God. Verse four, he will not faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. Another time we see God establishing justice. And listen, let me, let me, let me, let me just read the rest of this. And the coastlands wait for his law. Do you realize that the world is waiting for the law of God to come? 
This is why it says in the Old Testament that, that he has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do what? Justice. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so we, as Christ is in us, we are justice bringers. When we come, we bring justice with us. It's what we do as the people of God. Why? Because Christ is in us and that's what he is doing. And the world is waiting for his law. They're waiting for it. His law is so good. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Jesus became the covenant for us. His body was broken. His blood was shed. On that cross, he became a covenant for us. And his covenant cannot be broken. Hallelujah. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoner from the dungeons. You see Luke 4 it mirrored here, right? In Isaiah 61. The prison, those who sit in darkness. This is what Jesus came to do. This is why he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. You see that up in 42 uh, verse, where is it? One. My spirit's upon him. I put my spirit upon him. This is what God did through Jesus. I am the Lord and that is my name, my glory I give to no other, and my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. Listen, Revelation 19 is God telling us what's going to happen so that we're ready. Verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and its inhabitants, let the desert and the cities lift up their voice and the villages that, that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. Verse 13, the Lord goes out. Like a mighty man, like a mighty man of war. Now you see the shifts. Same God, same God. He comes as a servant. He comes to heal. He, he comes to, 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 to bring grace and, 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 and mercy. But now there's a shift. He comes like a mighty man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. And you want to highlight this. For a long time, I've held my peace. Imagine Jesus being beaten on the cross, spit at, mocked. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For a long time, he has held his peace. God is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. But someday, someday that's going to run out. 
I have kept still and I've restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay mountains and hills. I will lay waste mountains and hills. I will dry up all their vegetation and I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. Here we have pictured the tribulation time. This is the tribulation when that is happening. That's just said here in 14 and 15 that there is this tribulation that's going to come. And that's what we've been in in, in Revelation uh, verses 6 all the way through 18. That's the tribulation period. And so Jesus is going to come and do that. Same God. Same God. Same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he does not change. This is who our God is. Let's go to Revelation 19.10. Revelation 19.10, please. Prophecies like this where you can see a mountain and then you can see another mountain in the distance. But it's in the valley that there sometimes is other mountains. When you're looking from mountain to mountain, it looks like one thing. But again, down here, there's other things that come to play. This is the, the prophecies concerning Jesus is that we see in Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53 that this king was going to be a suffering servant, that he was going to be pierced and bruised for our transgressions, right? But then in other places, we see him as king, as ruler, as warrior, as bringing justice and making everything right. Both are true, but both came and come at a different time. Verse 10, then I fell at his feet. This is where we left off last week, to worship him. And he said, you must, do not, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Worship God. Now, here's the deal. Angels never receive worship in the Bible. The angel says, worship God. Now, by worship God, I want you to put in your Bible, Revelation 5. Why would I say that? Because we go up into heaven, and Revelation 4 is the worship of Father God, and Revelation 5 is the worship of Jesus, the lamb that was slain, the lion of the tribe of Judah who is conquered. And so the angel is saying, worship God, but in Revelation 5, Jesus receives worship. Why? Because he is God. He's God. He's God. Verse 10 continued, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Understand what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit and about prophecy. He said this in John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he speaks, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Prophecy, sometimes we get all bent out of shape. Here's the deal. 
Look at what it says in verse 10. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy should lift up Jesus. Prophecy should draw us to Jesus. It should declare his beauty and how great it is. It should be taken from the Holy Spirit and declared for us, showing the unfolding beauty of Jesus. It's about Jesus, guys. It's about Jesus, guys. Verse 11. Verse 11. And, and, and uh, Josh, if you could put up my, uh, the picture of the scripture, please. So look, in my Bible here, um, I have this section that has a lot of different references on different pieces so that <clears throat> I can go back and I can look at different passages because if I want to worship Jesus, one way that I do it is I worship him in how he has revealed himself. And again, listen, the book of Revelation is not the book of consolation, but it's the book of Revelation, Jesus revealed. And so Revelation chapter one, Revelation chapter five, he is revealed. When you have Revelation two and three, it had pieces of Jesus all through the churches that he's revealing himself to. And then we get to 19. Listen, this is the revelation of King Jesus, who's coming back soon. And so to be able to go back and forth, I pray your Bible looks like that, but let's read this today where we're going to spend most of our time. It says, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse. I want you to put above your, your white horse, um, Revelation 6, because there's a difference. The one sitting on itself is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. And his eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, and he has written, he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. And he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come and gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh." I want you to keep your place here. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. 
So Matthew chapter 24 is a prophecy where Jesus is answering his disciples because they said, hey, show us, show us the, the signs of your coming. When are you coming back? And he begins to give them answers, but again, it is in different pieces. Here, This piece is talking about Revelation 19, and so if you have your pen in Matthew chapter 24, verse 27 through 31, this is talking about the great tribulation period. This is talking about Revelation 19, because I don't know about you, but in reading the word, I'm like, man, what? When is this going to happen? How is this going to happen, right? And so this is why it's important that we go through Revelation so we can get a picture and an understanding of when things are going to go down, when things are going to happen. Matthew 24, 27, it says, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. How many times did I read that? I'm like, why, why is that there? That's weird. Corpses, vultures, what? what's that talking about? Well, if you ever had that question, here's your answer. Revelation 19, 17 through 18. This is called the great supper of God, by the way. Hey, there's different suppers. There's the marriage supper of the lamb. You don't want to be at this supper. It says immediately after the tribulation. You might want to highlight that. So we believe here, seven-year tribulation. All right. If you believe otherwise, that's okay. You're welcome here. We're not going to fight about that. Immediately after the tribulation, after the tribulation period. In those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. And the stars, the stars will fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. A lot of people feel like we're in the tribulation period now. No, you don't see this stuff happening. This stuff happens during the tribulation period. Revelation 6 through 18. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power, with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I want you to go back to Revelation 19, verse 11, please. Keep your place here. We're going to be flipping and always coming back, okay? Verse 11, then I saw heaven open. The last time we saw heaven open was Revelation 4, verse 1. Heaven was open, and the voice said, come up here. That's where I believe that the rapture happened, the rapture of the church happened. That's why I believe the fulfillment of John chapter 14, where Jesus says, I'm going to come again and bring you to myself, all right? And so... Um, that's where we see that. Heaven is open. And, and, and so the first time we get raptured, and this time we're actually returning with him. And behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is faithful and true. Faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. 
Now, understand this, that in Zechariah 9, 9, it's, it was prophesied that Jesus would come to you. In fact, let me read it to you. It says, rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So the first time he came humbly on a donkey. The second time he's coming, he's coming on a white horse. He's coming in glory. The first time in humility, the second time in glory. I want you to put above this passage here. Revelation 3.14. Revelation 3.14. Why? Because it says the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. God was revealing himself then to the churches. Jesus was speaking to the churches. And he is the one that is faithful and true. Look, you and I are not faithful and you are you and I are not true. He alone is faithful and he alone is true and the only hope that we have of being faithful and true is to be found in him. And I want you to understand the process for us as believers. Jesus when he came the first time, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him and lifted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, if you humble yourself now, you will one day be exalted. There is no other process for the Christian. Jesus humbled himself the first time, becoming an obedient servant, an obedient slave, but he's coming back again, exalted in his, in his risen state. Look at this next part. It says, in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. The first time he came for a savior, now he comes back as a righteous judge. The first time the wicked killed Jesus, the wicked judged him and they killed him. Now when he comes back, he's going to kill the wicked and he's going to judge the wicked. Things are flipped now. And listen, you better get on with this program, church, because this is who he is. This is what's about to go down. Psalm 89, 14, it says this, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. The foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice. If he does not execute justice, then he's not a good God. Verse 12, his eyes are like flames of fire. You can put Revelation 1, 14. Because it says there in chapter 1 that his eyes are a flame of fire. This is Jesus. What does that mean that his eyes are a flame of fire? That means there's nothing secret that you're going to be able to get over on God. He's going to see right through any deception, any hypocrisy, any lies. He th sees through it all. The fire represents a refiner's fire, which is purifying things, and there's nothing hidden from him. In fact, it says this in Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from his sight. 
but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I tell my children, hey guys, you can lie, you could deceive, you could try to get over, but someday you can be sure of this, that your sins will find you out. I don't know if you pray for your children, parents, that God would expose their sin, but you need to do that. Not to judge and condemn, but to snatch them out of the fire. And I could testify of how God has exposed. Anyway. I want you to understand something as well, church, that when God exposes someone, it's not to shame them. Because Christ despised the shame. Noah's sons, right? One exposed the sin. He was cursed for that. Christians, we don't do that. We need to be very, very careful when speaking about other ministries, other churches, other believers. Look, no, we cover sin. We cover sin. He does not want the shame of our nakedness exposed. He wants to cover. I want you to look at that word crown. It says on his head, verse 12, are many diadems. Understand the first time he came, he wore a crown of thorns. When he comes back again, he's not wearing a crown of thorns anymore. He's wearing a crown that's called a diadem. And there's two words used for crowns in the Greek. One is uh, basically where we get diadem from. This is a crown of royalty and authority. The other crown is the crown Stephanos. This is a crown of achievement that's given to someone. Keep in mind, and you can go there on your own time, but there's this rider on the white horse in Revelation chapter 6 that I believe is the Antichrist. We've already talked about that, but he's not wearing a diadem. He's wearing a Stephanos crown, meaning that crown was given to him, and he's going to be able to conquer for a short time. Jesus isn't given anything. He has all authority. He has all power, and he doesn't need permission. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. The king is coming. He's coming. Verse 13, he is clothed in a robe, dipped. That word could be translated splattered or soaked. Splattered or soaked, in blood. And by there, I want you to put Isaiah 63, 2, because we'll be coming back to that. Isaiah 63, 2. Again, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He is not like us. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And I want you to put John 1, 1 there. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And here we see this again. That God is honoring his word. His word and his character, when he speaks something, there's no variation. There is no lie. It is absolute truth. And here, this name on him, he's called the word of God. Jesus is God. 14. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, 
white and pure. We're following him on a white horse. So again, this is why we believe in the rapture. Now, in context here, go up to Revelation 19.7. It says, His bride has made herself ready and was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So you see, you see this army is following him with white, pure linen, fine linen. Same thing. I want you to keep your place here, and I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 3.13. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 is talking about the coming of the, the Lord and how we are, are asking Jesus to keep our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. But look at what it says here, 1 Thessalonians 3.13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at what? The coming of our Lord Jesus with what? Who's the saints? We are. When he com- this is, again, another reason why I believe in the rapture, because he's coming back with his saints. He's coming back with his saints. How could he do that if there is no rapture? Verse 15, Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Now, if you could go ahead and put up the uh, pictures of the swords real quick, please. So... I want you to see something here. This really long one is the one that's listed here in Revelation. Um, this one right here, Makara, this is a smaller sword. It's like a knife. It's like a fillet knife, if you will. This is the sword that is used in Hebrews chapter 4. This is the sword that's used in Ephesians chapter 6, the sword of the Spirit. It's a small sword. It's a sword that can fillet things. So we, as a people of God, the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged makara. Why is this important? Why are the two different? Because right now, we're supposed to use this little sword, not the big, long one, okay, where we're chopping people's heads off. But the small one, when you speak, it hopefully cuts to the heart. It cuts to the heart. And they cry out like they do in the book of Acts chapter 2. They were cut to the heart by the words of Peter. And they say, what shall I do? It's a cutting that's going to circumcise, that's going to fillet, that's going to separate soul from spirit, and not kill, not destroy. But this sword? This sword. And go to to the next picture, please. You can see how big it is. It's a very, very large sword that's coming out of his mouth. Do I have one more sword picture there? Is that the only one I got? No. Those are birds, not a sword, but anyway. <laughs> so you can leave the, the, yeah. 
So this is the one coming out. Now, Chris, why, why, why? I just thought it was cool. I'm a, I'm a nerd like that. So anyway, we see here that five times in the book of Revelation that this sword is mentioned. Christ conquers by the power of his word. In Revelation 1.16, from his mouth came a two-edged sword. It's this one. Revelation 2.12, the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. Re- uh, Revelation 2.16, therefore, and this is him. I want you to turn there real quick because I want you to see this, man. This is Jesus talking to his church, his church, and listen to what he says. He says, therefore, Revelation 2.16, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is saying, now what should this do for us? Like, guys, we got we to gotta quit playing around. There should be a fear of the Lord that's just welling up in us. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom, right? It'll teach me how to walk right when I have a proper perspective of Jesus the King with a sword coming out of his mouth. And he says this over the church. And this is the problem with the sloppy agape, watered-down gospel message of today where people say, hey, Jesus wouldn't speak to his people like that. Jesus wouldn't speak to his children like that. Oh, yeah? Have you read Revelation chapter 2, 16 through 17? And people are like, Chris, calm down. No, I'm not going to calm down. There's this false doctrine, false gospel. Our king is a righteous judge. And you keep playing around with porn. You keep playing around with lies and deception. You keep playing around and playing games with him. Fear the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom. Isaiah 11. Jesus walked in the fear of the Lord. He delighted in the fear of the Lord. The issue with the church today, she does not fear God. And this is why. This book promises. It's the only book that comes with a guaranteed blessing. Those who read the words of this book will be blessed. Why? Because Jesus is revealed. Not the make-believe Jesus that's often preached. Or the one-sided Jesus. But the whole Jesus. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You cannot have grace without truth. It's a false grace. Verse 15. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He'll rule them with a rod of iron. Key word, them. That's not going to be me, guys. I hope it ain't you. Them. I want you to keep your place here and I want you to turn to Psalm 2. Now, what kind of person is he going to rule? What kind of person is going is to be ruled like that? 
Revelation chapter 2. And again, this is a messianic psalm, and there's a number of messianic psalms in Scripture. Psalm 16 is one of them, right? Psalm 22 is one of them. Psalm 23 is one of them. And so there's messianic psalms that speak to Jesus, our King. Psalm 2 is one of them. It says, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Who is that? That's Jesus. They are against Jesus. They say in verse three, let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. Breaking bonds and cords, basically, we will not be ruled by you, Jesus. We're not going to come under your lordship. Is Jesus your savior and Lord? Or is he just your savior? Those who haven't come into the lordship of Christ, meaning he is the Lord of all, Lord of my life, where I am saying, yes, Jesus, I want to be yoked to you. I surrender my life to you. And break off every part of me that doesn't want to surrender. And I surrender my surrender because I can't complete my surrender. I need you, God. You are Lord. You are Lord. I renounce any lordship over my life anymore. I want you to rule over me. A true Christian says that to God and means it and means it. A true Christian doesn't walk around doing what they want to do and say, I'm covered by the blood. I'm covered by the blood. No, when you live like that, you spit on the blood of Christ. You trample on the blood. He's Lord of all. And so a person that's going to be crushed, a person that's going to be crushed with that rod of iron is a person that says, Jesus, you will not rule over me. See, we're, we're, we're in a church, a lot of people have prayed a prayer to receive Jesus as their, as their Savior. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But there's no difference from some of us and what we see here in Psalm 2, where we say, you're not going to rule over us. I'm going to take counsel against you, Jesus. I'm going to take worldly philosophy against you, Jesus. I'm not going to allow your word to be my final authority. What does God do? He sits, verse 4, in the heavens, and he laughs. Again, I've used this before. It would be like me walking on the sidewalk today, and all of a sudden I could hear the voice of a little red ant, and my foot's about to come down. And the little red ant says, you better not put your foot down on me. I'm going to. What a joke. And God is going to tread his wrath on people like grapes. You will not rule over me. You will not rule over me. You're kidding me, right? You're kidding me, right? And again, this proper perspective, this heavenly perspective is going to help us, guys, to flee from sin. To want to live righteous and holy and to give him glory. Then 
he will speak to them in his wrath, verse 5, and terrify them in his fury. It is going to be so terrifying when he comes back. And this is God. Here's what God says. For me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You can jot down Revelation 19, Zechariah 14, because God has already set Jesus on Zion. He will not be moved. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only what? Begotten son. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Revelation 19, that's when it's going to happen. All the world is going to come under the lordship and the rulership of Jesus. Verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Again, that's Revelation 19.15. We see this 3,000-year-old prophecy coming true, Revelation 19.15. That's what it's speaking of. This is Jesus. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with what? Fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish on the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus was slow to anger. He is slow to anger. But during this time of tribulation in Revelation 19, his wrath is going to be quickly kindled. During this time, he's held his peace, Isaiah 42, verse 14, for a long time. He's held his peace, but here it's going to be ramped up. This seven-year tribulation period, Revelation 6 through 18, is where it gets ramped up. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And again, for us, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, guys. Let's go to Revelation 19.15. It says, He will tread on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. So Jesus is going to crush people like grapes when he comes with the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Now keep in mind, What did Jesus experience on the cross? The wrath of God. He he took our wrath that we deserve because of our sins. I want you to look at Revelation 19.13. It says, He is clothed in a robe, dipped, splattered, or soaked in blood. And I had you highlight, or excuse me, write Isaiah 63, 1 through 6. And I want you to um, go there, please, now. Isaiah 63, 1 through 6. Again, we're going to a lot of Old Testament passages today because I want you to see that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has always been. This isn't the new improved Jesus in Revelation 19. No, this is Jesus who he has always been from the beginning of time. And again, idolatry will make Jesus into something that he's not. And do not do that. Yes, is he loving? Is he gentle? Is he graceful? Is he compassionate and kind? Yes, he's all that. 
So much so he died in your place. What great love. But there's also the other side. And those sides come together. And they make one, Jesus. And unfortunately, in this age we live in, we have just pushed down the image of God. A partial image because it doesn't sit well with us. And again, that's idolatry. Isaiah 63, it says, Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments? You want to highlight that, right? Reminds us of Revelation 19. He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Jesus is mighty to save. Jesus is righteous. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads the winepress? That's the same language in Revelation 19. I have trod in the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained on my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. Here we are in Isaiah. The day of vengeance is going to come. It's in Jesus' heart. And my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. My own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the people in my anger. I made them drink in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. This is our God. I want you to keep I want you to go ahead and turn over to Joel, Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3. And again, these are Old Testament prophecies that we see coming to the fulfillment when Jesus comes back. And he's coming, guys. He's coming. Joel chapter 3. Verse 12, it says, let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That could also be the valley of Armageddon. For there I will sit to judge the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread for the wine press is full. The vats overflow for their evil is great. There's going to be such evil in the last days. Jesus is going to come back. Let's go to Revelation 19, verse 16. It says, On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So if you're following, this is the third time a certain name is given to Jesus. He is indescribable. And, And remember the piece in verse 12, he has a name written on him that no one knows. That is so cool to me because so many people just flippantly take the Lord's name in vain. Jesus Christ this and, you know, all kinds of just cuss words according to his name. But ultimately, his name can't be taken in vain. Jesus has thought of everything. Because he has a name nobody knows. See, he's always checkmating us. And here's the... Verse 13, he's called the Word of God. And here in 16, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. You can put in your Bible 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
where it says that um, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come and gather for the great supper of God. Now, listen, chronologically, chronologically, this verse right here would pick up where Revelation 16.16 takes off. Revelation 16.16 takes off, and this is the Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon, all right? Verse 17, all right? Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice, and he called the birds. Now, now it's time for the birds, okay? Interesting, fun fact. Keep in mind, sometimes these fun facts are kind of dumb because God can do anything at any time, but there is a huge migration that happens every, every year with 500 million birds. They call it the eighth wonder, where, where they go through Jerusalem during a season. And so I just thought it was neat um, that there's these, all these birds saying, come for the great supper of God. And again, you don't want to be at this supper because you will be the supper, supper Okay. <laughs> Verse 18, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave. And you want to jot that down, highlight that, free and slave, both small and great. Uh, the next picture for uh, intersectionality, please. We live in a time and an age, guys, where this is being taught to our kids. It's being taught in our society. It's called the, what I consider to be the victim Olympics, who can be the bigger victim. We live in a victim age, and the bigger victim that you are, the better off you are in society. Here's what I want you to get, church. If you have Jesus Christ in you, you have an unfair advantage in every situation in life. This is where our mindset needs to be. If God is for me, who or what can be what? against me the moment somebody becomes born again it's game over all these other factors really don't matter because you have the same spirit that raised christ from the dead that is within you and you will overcome why because he overcame everything understand in this verse and this is this is the concern for me with this teaching, by the way, is because it tries to bring justice on earth, but through it, it brings discrimination and racism. When you look at verse 18, it says, all men, free and slaves, small and great, God, he's going to judge everybody Small and great, rich and poor, white and black, right? It, it, the, all that stuff, what matters is, what have you done with his son? What have you done with his son? That's what matters. Please don't major on the minors. If you are walking with the king, you're royalty. You're a saint. You're favored. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I can keep going. I want you to turn to Luke 14, please. 
I want you to understand there's a reaping and sowing in the Bible. And the grace of God came first, but the justice of God is going to come. The grace of God came first. What does that mean? Luke 14, 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go examine them. Please have me excused. Another one said, I have a married wife and therefore I cannot come. Hey, we understand that, don't we, fellas? I'm I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Verse 21. The The first servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go quickly to the streets, to the lanes of the city, to bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done. And still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel those to come in that my house may be filled. God's love and his desire is that his house is full. And it's a house of wine. It's a house of dancing. It's a house of celebration. It's a house of love. But people make excuses. 24, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The whole world has been invited to the first banquet, and this is God's grace. If you're busy, if you continue to push God off, if you continue to say, I will not surrender, I will not bow down, you will not have control of my life, you will go to the next banquet, and you will be the banquet. I don't want you to be the banquet, and neither does God. That's why he's inviting you to this one. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 19. And we are so close, guys. And I saw the beast. Revelation 19, 19. And the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire. The lake of fire. This is hell. We're going to get more into this later in the book of Revelation. But listen, you can either be born again, born twice, or you will die twice. And again, the offer is, this is the beauty of the gospel. You can come be born again. But listen, if you refuse, if you refuse... You will die t- twice, and you will end up in the lake that a fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword. Remember, that's the big sword that came from his mouth of him who was seated on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. I want you to turn to Zechariah 14. And again, Revelation 19 is not just the new Jesus, but this, is, this has been the plan from the beginning. 
Jesus was the lamb that was slain before, before the foundation of the earth was laid. Zechariah 14. And by the way, you can put Revelation 19 by this so that you can understand what it's talking about. Again, there's, there's like 400 verses, don't quote me, in the book of Revelation, but it alludes to over 800 verses throughout the entire Bible. This is why it's so important that we spend time in Revelation so we can understand the whole scope of the Bible. Verse 1, Zechariah 14, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst, for I will gather the nations against Jerusalem to battle. So again, world. Here, here, here's your, your, your world events right now. Understand the whole world is going to gather against Jerusalem. It's going to gather against Israel. And the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half the city shall go out in exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. This is what I believe, that the Antichrist is going to break the, seven, the covenant that he makes with Israel and begins to, to proclaim himself to be God, which is the abomination that causes desolation. And during that time, all hell is going to break loose and women will be raped and it will just be nasty. Jesus is prophesying this. Why? Because he doesn't want his people to go through it. But unfortunately, people reject his word. Verse 3, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations when he fights on the day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. By, by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward, and you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azale, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Hezziah, Uzziah, the king of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come, and all the holy ones with him. Again, again that's, that's us. We're coming with him. On that day, there should be no light, cold, frost. There should be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day and night, but at evening time, there shall be light. On that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. Oh, man, I can't wait. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. And the whole land shall be turned into a plain to those places south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hanel to the king's wine press. And it shall be inhabited for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security and this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they're still standing on their feet, and their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. When Jesus comes back, okay, he's going to speak just a word, and all of his enemies, they're going to experience this in verse 12. 
He's going to do that himself, even though we are with him. Remember that portion we read earlier where it said no one was with him when he tread down the winepress? It means that we are not going to fight. We are just behind him riding with him. He will fight alone by the word that comes out of his mouth, that sword with which he is going to strike everyone. Worship team, come on up. Prayer partners, you can come up, please. We started off with Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know this is a lot. But the Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so it's my prayer as we close that you'll quiet your hearts before the Lord and that you'll just cry out and say, God, forgive me if I've, if I've made an idol out of you because of things that I did not like, did not understand. Help me, Jesus, to know that grace is poured out on your lips. But also, you have a sword coming out of your mouth. And I pray, God, for just a greater fear and a greater reverence to be on your church, that we would worship you, Jesus, for who you really are. The risen King, the glorious one who dwells in righteousness and truth. You are the faithful witness. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no one that is like you, God. And we worship you because you are terrifying. We worship you because you are worthy. We worship you because you died for us and you gave yourself for us so that we would not experience wrath. So God, I pray that you would help us as your people to follow you, to honor you, to worship you, to walk with a, with a fear and a reverence for you. And we pray, God, for those that are around us that do not know you and some that are playing games with you that they would come into a relationship with you Jesus and they would begin to worship you as Lord you are Lord of all you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords and help us God now to kiss the Son we want to we worship you, God. We want to worship you, but we want to do it with, with a trembling as we adore you, our great King, as we wait for your return. Help us to continue to make ourselves ready as you have made us ready. We love you, Lord. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.